0: Well, good morning, everyone. So there was this guy in a pickup truck driving down the road. He had half a dozen penguins in the back of the truck. And the police officer saw him driving down, down the road with these penguins. And he pulled him over and he said, You know, what are you doing with these penguins in the back of your pickup truck? And the guy said, Well, they're my penguins, and they're, so they're, they belong to me. And the police officer said, Sir, you need to take those penguins to the zoo. And this guy was a, you know, a good citizen, he said, yes officer, I will. So the next day the police officer driving down the same street and he sees the same guy in the same pickup with the six same penguins in the back of the pickup but this time they have on sunglasses. And he pulls the guy over and he says, I thought I told you to take these penguins to the zoo. And he said, well I did yesterday, today I'm taking them to the beach. Yeah, I like that one, too. So that one was just to set up this one, okay? There's, there's a cruise ship, and uh, they're passing an island out in the ocean, and there's a guy running up and down the beach, jumping, he has beard, you know, half-dressed, and he, he's running up and down the beach, jumping and waving his arms and screaming, and one of the, one of the, uh, one of the customers on the cruise ship went to the captain and said... Who is that guy? What's he doing? The captain said, "Boy, I don't know who the heck he is, but every time we drive past his island, he goes berserk like that." Okay. You, You get, you don't get that. You get it, okay? You get it, okay? I hope so. All right. Well, we're we are, a, a ser- doing a very short series, just two parts, last week and this week on generosity. And um, uh, I, I wanted to let you know this, that we're gonna have a giving emphasis coming up. And it, it's gonna be called Our House. It's a cool name, isn't it, Our House? This is Our House. A lot of good songs about Our House, aren't there? And so I don't know which one the team's gonna choose for this, but it's Our House. You've heard the stories, in fact, if you were here at the beginning of the year, you heard me tell the story here about how we built this building, how the church started with half a dozen people uh, praying at our house, and then somehow, five years later, we have this beautiful building, and in between that, there was just a lot of God work, and uh, you heard me tell how we needed to raise $500,000 in a one-day offering, had probably 300 people on a good Sunday in attendance. And um, Lori and I woke up that morning that we had for the big offering day. And I'm thinking, you know, we're crazy. We're never going to get this. But we got close to $800,000 in a one-day offering from a church of a little bit less than 300 people. You've heard those stories. They're exciting, aren't they? It's cool to hear God does stuff like that. And right now, I want you to know we're still writing that story, Okay, this is the new chapter right now, and if you're recent here in this church, then you're, part, you're really part of writing this new chapter, and so this, um, this next giving campaign we're going to do, giving emphasis, is called Our House. We're going to be sharing with you more about it, but you and I, we all get to write the next chapter in this church's history. It's going to start February 25th, the end of this month, and, and run through March 17th. We'll tell you more about it as, as we get there, okay? But generosity... Uh, Luke had a message last week called Generosity and the Lie of Scarcity. Uh, How many of you heard that message? Okay. Wasn't it great? How many of you went back and listened to it a second time? Okay. Come on now. (laughs) If you really thought it was great. uh, No, I want to say this. If you were here last week, go back and listen to it a second time. It was that good. And if you weren't here last week, your assignment is... Go and listen to it two times, okay, (laughs) on different days so you can absorb it. But um, Luke Luke made some key statements. He said this. He said, you can have very little money and still serve wealth because it all comes down to the heart. And what are you looking at as the thing that's going to kind of like make your life worthwhile? make your life happy and gonna meet the needs of your life. If you think that having more money is gonna solve the problems of your life, then you're kinda like bumping up against this idea of of serving wealth. He also said it's not greed that leads us to idolize money. It's not greed, it's worry. You know, we worry that we won't have enough. We're, we're, We're filled with worry about that. And you know what worry does? Paul said in, um, I think it was 2 Timothy, he said, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and, of, and, and that word fear can mean anxiety, worry. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fear just kills your ability to reason well. Anxiety and fear just take that sound mind and put it on the shelf. And so for all the decisions we make in life, when we're living with fear, it, 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 uh, it really hinders us from walking in everything Jesus has for us. But then Luke went on to say, worry is imagining a future where God's not in it. Isn't that good? Worry is imagining a future and God's not in it. That's why I, I like to say this, I will thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me. Say that with me. I will thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me. Say it again. I will thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me. And if it helps you to think of it this way, you're thinking of how you're gonna pay the bill next week or next month, or what's gonna happen next year uh, to your job, Uh, and picture Jesus already there. And when you get there, He says, yeah, I've been sitting, I've been waiting for you. Come on, let's tackle this thing. I'm here with you. Really, actually, you know, he's with you all along the way. But if it helps you to picture him already there, and you're walking into, as you're walking into the unknown, you're walking into his presence. So, uh, worry is imagining a future where God's not in it, but you and I say, I'll thrive no matter what happens, because Jesus is with me. And then he made this statement. He said, If God's in it, there's more than enough. Can you hear that? If God's in it, there's more than enough. So what does it mean, God in it? What does that mean? It requires something of me. It means that I'm looking at my life through the lens of God's mission for the world. And I'm asking God, you know, what part do I have to play in your mission for the world? That's the most important thing. I'm holding that up in my life, and I'm saying, God, whatever it is, I'm here to serve your mission in this world. Show me what that is and show me my part in it. And so that's, that's the basis. And then God's leading me in the next step I'm taking. Pretty simple. That's what it means when, he says, when, when we say God's in it, that he's in my heart, I am following him, and he's saying, go here. And I'm saying, boy, I don't have enough money to go there. And he's saying, don't worry about the money. I'll take care of the money. Just go there. So there's always enough. There's more than enough. There's an abundance. So the Bible says that God's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, Be- beyond it all. Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9, the prophet there kind of rebuking a king because he wasn't trusting God. And he says, don't you know that God's constantly searching the entire earth? His eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him, so he can what? So he can show his power on their behalf. It's like God saying, look, I've got all this wealth. I've got all this power. I want to release it. I'm just looking for people who are trusting me. I'm looking for people who, who have hearts that are loyal to me. And as I've said many times, loyal doesn't mean perfect. What it means is my life in my, the direction of my life is headed towards God. It's headed toward, I might take detours, I might sit down, and I might stumble at times, but if you draw a line in the trajectory of my life, it's pointing towards God. I'm walking in his path in a direction towards him. So, uh, Jeremiah 33.3 3 again says, Call to me, and I'll show you great and mighty things such as you've never seen. Never seen. Have you ever heard of sunk costs? You know, that's when you make a mistake, and you've spent some money, and then you're thinking, well, boy... It's not very wise to spend more money because this isn't working, but I've already put this money into it, so what do I do? Well, you consider those sunk costs. You just say goodbye to that money and you move on. Okay, there was a king in the Old Testament named Azariah, and he was, he was going to war with another king, and uh, he, he had trusted God before this and seen God work, but in this case, he hired mercenaries from a neighboring nation to come and to fight on his behalf. Now the prophet of God comes to him and says, what are you thinking? Don't you know God, you know, God wants to, he he wants to give you victory. You should have trusted in him. Send the mercenaries home. And so Azariah got it partly right. He sends the mercenaries, well, as he's considering it, uh, he's willing to send the mercenaries home, but he says to the prophet, what about the hundred talents of silver I gave the mercenaries? You know, I'm going to lose all that money. And the prophet says this, he says to him, the Lord has much more to give you than that. Much more to give you than that. So in that case, sunk costs weren't lost because God has much more to give you. Don't worry about that money. See, God has an abundance. And what he's looking for is people with loyal hearts that are willing to live you know, just the way he calls us to live and to honor him in our lives and a huge part of that is how we handle money how we how at our heart level we handle money and this whole issue of generosity really is a heart issue it really is and the, the 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 thing about money is it is god's chief rival for our hearts that's why jesus said you can't love god and money because money is the thing that just has a grip so easily on our lives, whether, you ha- whether we have it or not, it's, you know, it can have a grip on our hearts and on our lives. And so today, I do want to talk with you more about, about this whole issue, and today, the title of my message is, Generosity is the Place of Blessing. It's the place of blessing, and by the place of blessing, what do I mean by that? Well, it's the place where blessings flow, okay? It's the place where you receive blessings. Um, Last week, my car started making a noise on Friday. I had had it worked on before and uh, and a couple months ago. And so what did I do with my car? It's making this clanking noise in the back left driver's side. I took it back to the garage that had worked on it two months ago. I took it to the place of car repair. I didn't just sit in my driveway and expect it to get fixed. I, I went to a place where I knew this happens. Cars are repaired here. You know, I needed quarters a week or so ago. I went to the bank place they give you quarters, the bank, and got a roll of quarters. But it's like there is a place in life of blessing. There is, there, there's a, there's a, a way to live your life to put yourself in the place of blessing, where God's already pouring blessing out. It's just, I just need to get under it. I need to get into that spot. And a big part of that is to live with a generous heart and to understand the the, the whole idea of generosity. And, And I think to really live with a generous heart and to really see this all in perspective, we have to have a clear understanding of the seen realm, which touch the chair in front of you, your shirt or person beside you, this is all the seen realm, and the unseen realm. We have to know the relationship between the two and understand what they actually are and how God works in each realm. So today, that's the main thing that I do wanna talk with you about. And, and I'm gonna say this right, right at the outset. There are two big issues we have. We have a tendency to fixate on the seen realm because we're here, it's material, I'm material, it's easy to touch, see, taste, smell, and interact with. I fixate on that, and then I picture the unseen realm as someplace else, Like, like there's this gap between here and there. And so that's one mistake that we make. Second mistake we make, which is even more serious than the first, is that This is real, that is not. This is real, that is not. Have you ever been in a situation or heard someone say, I know, I know you have faith. I know you're trusting God. I know you believe God told you to do this, but you've got to face reality. You've got to face the facts. And the facts are almost always related to numbers, to strength, power, opportunity in this realm, in the seen realm. That, that same person, and I, I mean, let's admit it, we've all thought that at times, haven't we? Yeah, well, well who's going to feed your kids if you do this? You know, who's going to make your car who, and, and And it's so easy just to fall into that, that line of thinking that this is real, that's a little bit less real. A little bit less real. So, you got to really take care of this. you got to think about this. Now, when, when we're thinking that way, what we're doing is failing to recognize that this came from that. Okay? This came from that. Now, the greater... Creates the lesser. And when we're saying the unseen realm, you can say, you can just plug kingdom of God in that thinking if you want to. You can, just God himself. He's, he's God of the unseen and the seen realm. But recognize, if you're thinking of these terms, this that we have here came from that. And so, which is the greater? Which is, which is the more permanent? Which is the one that is Real as compared to the other. And that's the that's the big struggle because we're gonna have a tendency to lean in the direction of what we think has the greatest impact and power over our lives. And if we think of it that way and we're fixated already on the seen realm, then we're gonna we're gonna think in terms of counting and figures and power and And uh, how many people do we have to do this? Do we have anybody that can plan well enough to get that done? And on and on and on. And so what we need to do is to break out of that type of thinking. Well, last week, uh, just kind of set this up a little more. Last week, Luke shared a story about Bill Johnson's church. And uh, in in this story, they had $10,000. Bill Johnson pastors a church in California called Bethel, which is very well known. And uh, this was many years ago. They had... $10,000 $10,000 in the bank, and it was Tuesday. And on Thursday, they owed their staff payroll $30,000. But on Tuesday, they were supposed to send a check to their missionaries for $10,000. They had 10. Okay, this Tuesday, what are we going to do? And the financial guy recommended to Bill, he said, I, I recommend we don't send the money to the, to the missionaries. We keep it, and we just divide it up among the staff and bills bill prayed came back and you know, said nope he said the missionaries need that money as much as we do and so they sent the money to the missionaries that they supported so it comes to Thursday now we have to pay staff we don't have any money to do it the guy comes in that morning i think it was late morning and said hey i have something i've been i'm sorry i've been trying to get this due for the last 3 months and just one thing after another has interfered with me with me being able to you know, bring this check into you. He said, but here it is. I hope it helps. It was a check for $35,000. So they were able to make their payroll. But you, what Luke brought out, I thought was very insightful. This guy said, I've been trying to get this to you for three months. So, God had that prepared, not just in his own mind a year or an eternity past. He had the whole thing set up for at least three months, let's say. Okay? And here's kind of what I picture. In the the New Testament, there's one place where the Apostle Paul says, I would have come to see you, but Satan hindered me. So, I'm thinking Satan's involved in this. He's hindering this guy getting the money. Maybe he's messing with the bank's computers Maybe the, maybe the guy's, I don't know what, car's breaking down or he, he doesn't have the right person to sign. There's some way that Satan is hindering this money from coming through. And, I, and I'm picturing God saying, okay, look, you, you, and you. And he picks out three angels. I want you to hang out with Bill Johnson and because this is going to happen. I know this is coming up. And I'm looking, I want Bill to understand how the seen and the unseen work. So I don't want to just give them this money. I want him to understand this. And so as soon as he exhibits that he understands this and that he's going to put his trust in me, then you just kick the crap out of those demons. Get them out of there and release this money to come to him. Okay, there's there's stuff happening in the unseen realm that we don't always get. And Luke asked this question. He said, I wonder how many things God's prepared for us that we missed. I wonder, I wonder how many things God has prepared for us that we missed. You know what Mike was sharing earlier? Lori and I, you know, if you know our story, we moved from Michigan to Illinois with God's leading, had no job, had no house to live in, had four kids. The oldest was 15, the youngest was three. And um, you know what? I actually expected a check to come in. I'm waiting. I'm thinking. Okay, we're doing this, God. Someone's going to send us a check. Someone's going to call and say, "God woke me up last night and told me to give you fifty thousand dollars," and it's going to be awesome. And you, and we're going to. It's going to be so awesome. Th- 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 as Mike said, that didn't happen, but God provided all along the way. Yeah. You know, if he if he had given us a million dollars at that point, would we even be here? Would might be in Hawaii right now, for all I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, but but. My point is, he provided. We're still here. We're clothed in our right minds. Our kids are all grown. They all know the Lord. And so, point is, we need to understand how the unseen and the seen work so that that we can make decisions well. Because if we don't understand this, we're not going to make our decisions well. And the first thing is, that there's not this great distance between the two. They, they are not only overlapping, they are integrated. Yes. The two are integrated. Okay, it's one thing to think of, oh God's up there. Oh God, can you hear me? Please send, send something down. We use those terms because we're so locked into, and God uses those terms too. It's, it's like he's, he's accommodating himself to the fact that we live in a material world, which he created, so he likes it, but he'll say he sent angels, or angels came, or we say come Holy Spirit, when what we really mean is Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Right. We know you're here. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Not God send angels, but Holy Spirit, uh, God release angels. There are angels here. There are angels here right now. To understand, it's not like natural world, seen world, unseen world. It's not even like this, right close to each other, but it's like this. They're integrated. And when we begin to understand that, then we begin to understand how the principles that God gives us of how to live in the seen world that seem like they're more based on the unseen world we begin to understand how they work in, in this world, and in this life, and in my life, and in your life. And we were created for them to be integrated, not, not to be separated, not, not by distance or, or in, in any other way. But Adam and Eve, God creates the earth. He puts Adam and Eve here, and they sinned, and then what did they hear that night, that, that morning, that evening, that evening, that night? It says they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. So God didn't just come as an apparition to them, and kind of like float through the garden noiselessly. I, I don't. Somehow He appeared there, and it very likely would have been the Son of God, Jesus, in a pre-incarnate form. There's a big theological term for that. We don't need to go into that. But Jesus is there, appearing, and He's walking along and He's kicking stones. And he 's shaking you know bumping into bo- they could hear him, and so they were created to have direct daily interaction with the unseen realm that 's how we 're created now the fall of mankind has like put this blinder up it, it the ability to interact that way we 're not born with that ability, that part of us is deadened, and so we're born without the ability to perceive accurately the unseen realm. But, but God desired for the two to actually be integrated. Now, that leaves us then with, if, if there's not a separation, if, if I can think of God as being right here, if heaven, kingdom of heaven right here, of, of Jesus is right here because, he, because the two are integrated, then, then I've taken a big step to living the way Jesus lived. And that's what we need to do. You know, Steve Backlin says, believing in Jesus gets you saved. Believing like Jesus gets you mature, that's good. gets you free. Believing like Jesus, living like Jesus. And so, but the second thing is this. Which is greater? Which is the greater reality? This is one we have a hard time with, and we, we all will at times wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh my gosh, what, what, what decision did I just make or what decision did my friend just make? Uh, we'll all have those moments, but we need to understand the, the seen versus the unseen as to which is greatest. Here in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, the apostle Paul says this. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. He's, he's suffered a lot. He's gone through a lot, okay? He's, he's going through the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel, and he has been beaten. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked. He's been lost. He's drifted in the sea for two days, just on and on and on. He says, therefore, but we don't lose heart in spite of all that. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, and we can give testimony to the fact that the older you get, the more you realize that, and the more things pile up, too. So all these beatings Paul's taken, the stoning, all of that, it's piling up on him. It's a weight on him. And he says, even though the outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So problems like Paul faced, that's a weight. You know, when you're struggling with issues and, and, and difficulties and uncertainties and pains, that, that's a weight to, to a person, isn't it? Have you ever been at a point where you felt like, like physically burdened almost because of some troubles or struggles that you're facing and going through? There's a weight to that. Paul says this first. He says, well, he says the glory we're going to get outweighs them all. And so the unseen realm has weight. He might be using this as as just as an analogy, but I think there's truth to it. The unseen realm has substance and weight to it. And and the weightier thing is always the more valuable thing. Gold is more valuable than coal. Gold is heavy. By By the ounce, it's more valuable. Let's put it that way. But he says this eternal glory outweighs them all. So he says, we fix our eyes. Not on, the un- not on the seen, temporary, the unseen, which is eternal. When you fix your eyes on something, you're making a choice. You're making a choice. You're saying, okay, and listen, we all see the natural realm, don't we? The seen realm is all around us all the time. It's easy to just get locked into that, lean that direction as reality. But what we have to do is lean the other direction, Because I've got to fixate on the unseen realm. First of all, it is here right now. It's integrated with this world and this life. And therefore, I have to lean that direction because that is eternal. And one of the things we can do is just ask God for more insight. Ask God to show us more and to understand more. Here, Hebrews 11 talks about this also. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is confidence that what we hope for and it is is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Listen to these words. By faith we understand. Understand. that's, That's logic. That's brain. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So, first of all, the word faith is the key to understanding. By faith we understand. And he's presenting faith here not as, you know, like in in the natural realm, uh, people would look at faith as kind of like a birthday wish or like a fairy tale, or it's something in that whole realm of the make-believe. You know, you have faith, and and that makes you feel better about life, and so you're probably going to be a little bit more successful because you have faith. And but But it doesn't view faith as something concrete or substantial. And the Bible presents faith as something that has actual substance to it. You know, I remember in like 1991, I read an article that said in 10 years, everyone in the country will carry a phone around in their pocket. And I thought, yeah, sure, that's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, we'll we'll be like Dick Tracy with phones on our wrists, you know, where we can talk to people. Um, Yeah, boy, was I wrong. But today, you can Zoom with someone halfway around the world. You can FaceTime with people across the country. And almost instantly, my, my face and what I'm thinking and the words I'm speaking are seen by that person. I, I still don't really grasp it. I mean, I know the technical terms they use to describe the whole thing and, and all of that. But it's like faith is kind of like that. It's something you can't necessarily see... But it's real, and it connects you with someone. And you know it's real when you're connected with that person. I know Zoom is working when I see my friend's face come up on the screen. I know faith is—I know faith is substantial and real because it connects me with the living God. Amen. That's good. And and so faith, he says, is—it's confidence. But really, the word there is a word that means substance. It's a word that could refer to the substructure of a building, like a skyscraper. It's the thing that is there that is real that holds all the rest of it up. And it's part of the whole thing as well. It's substantive. And and he says, hoped for things, you know, God's already planned or promised. That's what we hope for. We're looking for the things God's planned for us. We may not know yet or God's promise to us in his word or just through direct promise. Evidence, faith is evidence of what is unseen. It's it's evidence of the reality of that. And so, New Testament teaches this totally radical thinking about faith. You know what? It might not always be intellectual conviction, there might be times when you're like the guy said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. There might be times when you are you're, you're, you're just can't put it quite together as far as I'm certain that God is real, I'm certain that this is true, I'm certain that this is what he told me to do. But you still say, okay, yes, God, I'll do that. And you step out. And that step then is faith. And that step then is evidence of the reality of the un, of unseen and the reality of God's presence and work in your life because uh, without that, you wouldn't be taking that step. Now, just like we have in the natural realm, we have uh, principles or laws like gravity. You know, you don't wanna disobey the law of gravity, do you? And I could, you know, I, I could, I could try, but, but it's gonna get you in the end. You're gonna, you're gonna pay the price if you, if you disregard gravity or um, many other principles in the natural realm. But there are principles as well that overlap because, remember, the seen and the unseen are integrated. It's not one here and one here. It's not, well, here I am in the seen world and God's asking me to live based on principles of the unseen world, which is way over here and I'm way over here, and how the heck does he expect me to do that? No, they're integrated, They, they work together. What this means is an unbeliever who is generous is gonna have a better life than the unbeliever who's not generous because generosity is one of the core principles that God has created into the seen realm in this overlap with the unseen realm. And so if I wanna be in the place of blessing, I need to position my heart to take a generous, a posture of generosity, a posture that says, God, I know you have so much more for me than, than anything I can imagine. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless other people because we're created to bless other people. And, and like, like uh, Paul quoted Jesus, not Paul, but uh, the book of Acts quotes, I think it was Peter, said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It, it's, you get blessed by giving. You get blessed by giving, by having a generous heart. It blesses my heart. It blesses my life. And it puts me in a place to be blessed by God. So, um, as, as we move on here, regarding finances generally, Philippians 4.19 is a verse I want to touch on because I think we misquoted an awful lot. But here's, here's what's happening in Philippians 4.19. Apostle Paul is out ministering in their churches that are sending him money. The church at Philippi uh, sent, him, sent him a gift to help him. And he said, you know, during that season of time, you're the only one of the churches that actually gave to me. And, and so I'm, I'm so thankful you did that. And he said, you know, that's where he says, I've learned to live with or without. I've learned to be content however much I have. But he says, I'm thankful for this gift. And I'm thankful for it because it blesses my life. But I'm thankful for you. Because he says, it's to, it gets, it's to your credit that you've done this. So it's to their blessing and welfare in their own lives that they sacrificially gave something to the Apostle Paul to, to, to serve the mission of the kingdom. And then he says this, and he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So he said, look, I, I know, I know you've sacrificed but I'm confident of this. God's going to meet all your needs. And so this isn't a verse that I can just pull out of nowhere. And and I've been living, you know, my own life, my own way, uh, not working maybe or whatever. And I can say, well, God's going to provide all my needs. No, this verse has a context. And and here's some of the principles, Just, just to knock off a few. Here's a biblical principle that overlaps from uh, part of the integration of the unseen and the seen. Real simple, work hard. If you teach your kids anything, teach them, work hard. Show up for work on time. Don't quit until you have a better job. Don't quit just because the boss is, you know, doesn't you know, treat you the way you want him to or her to. Just get your job, show up on time, do good work. Second thing is the money you get, spend wisely. Be careful with it. Budget. Think. You know, study biblical what things you should spend your money. Third thing is save regularly. Save, but here's the key thing. Don't save for protection. Save for provision. Okay, we're going to need a new car in two years. Well, we better save money for that. But don't save so that we can be secure. That's, that's how all the advertisements go on TV. But, you know, whatever amount you have, you need more to be really secure. I mean, nothing wrong with having a couple million dollars in the bank. That would be great for everybody, which everybody did. But that would not be your security, even if you hadn't. God's our provider. And so save, but save to meet needs, not, not for security. And then fourth thing is this, give generously. Be generous give an extra dollar to the, to the person that serves you at the restaurant. I remember Lori's dad once, um, we were down at the boathouse and some of our family was sick so we had bought a whole bunch of food to take home as well as what we ate there. And he gave, I don't know what the tip was, but when, she, when the server saw it, she reached across the table, took his hand, and she said, bless you. And I just thought, you know, this is August. He probably just bought her kids school clothes for the year. I mean, something like that. Be generous. Just, I mean, you, you can't always give, you know, $100 tips or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But just be generous. Push the limits of that. Have a generous heart. So, next verse I want to look at is 2 Corinthians 8, 7. And it says this. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He said, excel in giving as well. Be generous and and give generously. It's a grace that means, you know, grace can mean God's power meeting us at our point of need. It, It can mean his forgiveness meeting us at our point of need, and we get to be part of his family. It can mean uh, Holy Spirit enablement, like the gifts of the Spirit. Or it can mean just a flat-out gift. And it's a gift to us that we get to be generous to others. Okay, that's just a gift God's given us. And so he's saying here, excel in that gift. Make make it something that you, uh, you work on. Um, next, generosity leads to a flow in life. This is a real key thing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Now he sup- who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And and what he's saying here is, as you give and, and you're showing yourself really to be trustworthy with what God's given you, then he's going to say, wow, we can trust this person with more without ruining their life. You know, a lot of people, if God said, well, I'm just going to pour blessings on it, it could ruin their life because they love money. And, and he's, he's, he's saying here, you know, God's, you're putting yourself in a position for God to bless so that you can bless others more. A week ago, Silas was over at our house, and he found a tape measure of mine, and he wanted it. And uh, I said, No, nah, that's too big. I said, Here, I have this little six foot tape measure. You know, the kind that's on a keychain. So, here, you take this. And then this week, he was measuring everything. <laughs> when we went to his house, he had his tape measure. I look, Papa, what do I do. I look at this and I do it like that. And then he was showing me how you can hold it and the tape measure will zip back up <laughs> and stuff. And so he was at our house yesterday. And I thought, You know, he was so, he didn't lose it. He, you know, he kept it. I'm going to give him a bigger one. And so I said, you know, Silas, you, you've you've kept that little one that I gave you. I'm going to give you a bigger one now. I think God's kind of like that. He, he's he's not withholding from us. He's just wanting us to, you know, put yourself in the position to be blessed by having a generous heart and not loving money. And uh, I'm going to read through these last five things as quickly as I can. You know what? being a generous person will make a difference, yeah, to your own life, it will, because generosity releases God's blessing and joy. We've already talked about that. It'll make a difference to your children, because kids are smart enough to know, if, if, I am, if I grow up in a house where my parents are talking about trusting Jesus all the time, but they're also worried about money all the time, I'm going to question whether they're really trusting Jesus. Uh, and I want to show them what it is to trust Jesus. And I want to get them in on it. A good friend, a mentor of mine, Chester Martin, he said, never pit your kids against God or ministry. Don't say, well, kids, I'm sorry, we don't have enough money to do that because we give to the church. I mean, you might as well just, I mean, that, that's you are wounding their heart. Get them involved in the process. Get them engaged with it. Let them know we want to see people come to know Jesus. And so we're giving to to the kingdom to advance the kingdom. And so they'll see the reality of your faith. And to God, it honors God and blesses him as an act of worship. To your own, to the church family, it enables us to pursue God's mission. And I'm not saying that all giving has to come to the church. I think, you know, I gave a message on this two years ago. But I think primarily, you know, we're locked together together linked together to advance the kingdom. And so primarily, you know, we give here, but we give other places too. And then to the church at large, your act of faith can release something powerful, just like Jonathan in uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan, Saul's son, goes out and has a battle with this Philistine outpost, and he won, and, you know, against like more than 20 men. And it says, then the Philistines all over the battlefield, miles away, had no idea what had happened there, they became terrified. And what happened was when Jonathan did that, God released a spirit of fear on the whole enemy. And so your one act of giving, even if it's the, the, like the widow, the widow who can only give two pennies, that could release something in the spirit realm that will advance the kingdom beyond what you can dream of or, com- or comprehend. And so don't ever think a gift is too small to give. We're going to end with this. In the Old Testament, Elisha, a prophet, was holed up in a city, and the enemy came, and they surrounded the city, and Elisha's servant is panicking. What are we going to do? Look at all those the enemy troops there. And Elisha says, don't worry. He says, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And then he said, God, open his eyes so he can see. And God opens his eyes and he sees angels and chariots of fire all around, surrounding the enemy. And, and it wasn't like God said, oh, hurry up, get some angels down there right now. I told you to have those angels ready early. No, no, they were already there. It was just opening his eyes to see it. And so let's stand. I'm going to pray that God will open our eyes to understand the unseen and the seen and how they overlap and integrate and how when, when, we, when we're working together with God, we're going to make decisions that are just going to come straight out of the unseen realm, but they fit right here in the seen realm. So, Father, uh, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how you've created us. And, and I pray, Father, as it's your heart, you would release the Holy Spirit right now to come. To, to reveal himself, and to open our eyes to see you more clearly, and, and to know how to make decisions so that we give weight to the right thing, so that we fixate on the unseen, and, and we recognize that what's the unseen has greater power and reality than the seen, so that we can see that and live on that basis and trust you with our lives, in Jesus' name, amen.